Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. Jesus Christ. 
compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name
wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Well, if you would turn your Bibles to First uh, Samuel chapter 15, First Samuel chapter 15. I want to start a series that looks at the life of David. We're, we're actually uh, teaching that on Wednesday nights, so if you want to join us, we're going through and looking at the life of David. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, that. Um, but David was what we'd call a renaissance man, and that just means that he excelled in more than one area. Usually, a lot of us are good at one thing, like I'm good at video games, right? Um, but not good at singing or anything like that. I can't... I can't clap to the beat and sing at the same time and just can't clap to the beat, period. But David, man, he nailed it on multiple accounts. Warrior, right? We remember he fights Goliath. God guides that stone, and then he ends up taking down that and doing, you know, there's a great victory that comes from that. We see him leading men into battle. Saul puts him in charge of the armies at times, different armies, and he just has great success. We see him take on bears and lions and kills those while he's a a young boy, a young man, shepherding sheep, right? We, we also know he's a musician. Uh, they would bring him in before King Saul and have him play. He was good enough for that. He was also a king and a statesman. In, in fact, he, he was such a good king, such a good statesman that they thought when he was king that this was Israel's golden era. That's why they always point to the Messiah as a relative of David because they were hoping that Messiah would come and bring back Israel's glory like it was in the time of David. Many of the Psalms written by David, right? Poet, warrior, and a poet. He could write those things and some of the most beautiful Psalms come from his hand, Psalm 23, right? He did a, a lot of things well, but that's not what God pointed to when they looked at him, when he looked at him, right? God pointed to this man had a, had a heart like his. And I want us to be reminded that. I want us to look at that. We know that the heart is behind everything that we do. And that's how we determine, are we messing up? You know, are we doing something wrong? We looked at what's behind those things. Somebody asked me at work. She called me up and she says, hey, if I see somebody kill somebody and I kill them, is it okay? That, that's the questions you get when you're a pastor, Right? And uh, I said, you're going to have to give me some more information on that. But ultimately, it comes down to what's in your heart. Are you doing it out of revenge or are you doing it to save a life? You know, you look at what's behind things. What do you say, right? I can say, I can say dang and, or, or a word that we wouldn't consider as a swear word, but what's behind it might be something far worse than somebody who says a swear word but doesn't have it, anything behind it, right? What's in our heart? What the reason that we're doing the things that was what we want to look at, right? Um, so I, I hope that through this series and through this study that we become not people with a heart like David, right? But people with a heart like God's. Before we look at David, though, the, the Lord's anointed, we got to look at the one before him. And that's King Saul. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on. So a, a series on David that doesn't talk about David at all. That's what we're going to be looking at. First Samuel 15, beginning at verse 10. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. 
I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. When's the last time you cried out to the Lord all night? I don't think I've ever done that. Am I willing to? I pray I am for somebody, right? Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Listen to this. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Father, let that not be said about any one of us. Lord, let us not be a rebellious people. Let us not make excuses, Lord. And if we are, would you correct us? Would you rebuke us? Would you place us back on the path, Lord? Help us to have repentance in our heart, Lord, and to seek you and to follow your commands. Lord, speak to us through your word. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Little context, Saul was the first king of Israel. He starts off really well. This guy's nailing it. He's good, right? Samuel's chapter 9, 10, and 11, if you want to get some history right there. In, in Samuel 10, there's this account where they go to anoint him to be king. And you know what he's doing? He's hiding, right? He's hiding in, in the supplies from this. Saul didn't feel worthy of being king. He was small in his own eyes, right? When he was made king, when he did get the power, there were some people that came up against him. He didn't use his power like a lot of kings did and silence those people, kill those people. He actually showed grace. He extended mercy to them. He seems likable. He seems humble. The Spirit of God was upon him. And yet he takes this turn he spirals out of control 
and becomes this evil person, and the Lord ends up taking the kingdom from him. The Lord ends up rejecting him. And my friends, that cannot be us. We have to be very careful not to make the same mistakes. The, the question is, how does it happen? Very serious question for us today. We can understand, right, how people in bad environments, we can understand how people in bad upbringings go down the wrong path and end up doing evil things and stuff like that. But what about the decent people? What about the people who had the best upbringings, who start off well and also go down that wrong path, though? Why? Well, one of the answers is found right here. When we look at Saul, we see something. We see a capacity for self-deception. That's what it is. We see a capacity for self-deception that leads him to reject the word of the Lord. The human heart has the capacity to deceive itself. I think we all know that, right? And hide truth from itself. Saul was given a special, a very specific direction from God. Verse 18 summarizes it. It says this, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Now, this is uh, something that people point to outside the faith, and they say, how can God be a God where he wipes out women and children and just wipes a people completely off the face of the earth? And, and uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I probably had similar thoughts to that. But we got to understand the context. The, the Amalekites... We're told that they were wicked. They were extremely wicked. They committed all sorts of atrocities and, and horrible things. Um, uh, they attacked Israel when Israel was coming out of Egypt. God said this in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. This is when they were escaping from slavery. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. Who are the people that lag behind? It's the women with children. It's the elderly. It's the sick, right? That's who they took out. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from the, all enemies around you in the land he is giving to you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget the Amalekites were constantly attacking Israel, constantly joining with other nations attacking Israel. They were a descendant of Esau, if you remember Jacob and Esau, right? If you know Haman from the story of Esther, Haman was the one who wanted to kill, exterminate all the Jews, right? That's a descendant of the Amalekites. This action, was supposed to be God's wrath, God's justice as punishment because of this extreme evil. We can point to and say, how could God do that? But we know that God is slow to anger. He gives plenty of opportunities to repent and turn. But these, this people group refused, and they just kept on doing horrible, heinous things. We have to understand that when we are rebellious like that, when we commit evil, we are inviting God's judgment. That's the story. That's the real story with this, right? We are inviting God's wrath upon ourselves, and sometimes that wrath gets paid out on our kids. 
because of our actions, right? It's not God being unjust. This is actually God's justice, God being fair, right? We know it's God's judgment because of one very specific detail. I don't know if you know it, but the call is to wipe out everything, right? Including the animals, and they were not supposed to take anything. Most countries, most people groups, when they go to war, you go to war for a reason, and that's to get something, right? We saw Russia going to war with Ukraine. Why? To get land, to get resources. That's why people go to war. Countries back in this time, they wanted to take land, slaves, livestock, crops, gold, other resources. That's why most wars happen. But God says, don't take anything because this is about God's divine justice. Purely that. Don't be like the Amalekites who constantly plundered people and took stuff, right? The atrocities that this nation committed invited God's judgment upon them. Because this is an act of God's justice, right? He wouldn't let the Israelites profit off of it. This is not about that. But what does Saul do? He acts just like the Amalekites and every other nation that goes to war. This no longer becomes an act of God's judgment. Now it's just like everything else. This is about plundering a nation for profit. He ignores the word of the Lord. He ignores the command of the Lord. And God rejected him as king because of it and other things. In this way and others, we need to see that Saul went from being a decent guy, a good guy, humble guy, a guy with the spirit of God upon him, to being like all the other kings around him, all the other people around him. God warned him. God warned the Israelites, you want a king, but you're going to have somebody like all the other kings, right? But they still wanted that king. How does Saul go down this path? We need to realize how Saul goes down this path so that we don't make that same mistake. Like I said, it's all about self-deception. It's all about deceiving ourselves. Notice verse 19. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul responds, what? But I did obey the Lord. Now, you need to know that in the Hebrew language, um, it is more metaphorical than our language. Our language is very abstract. There is no word for obey in the Hebrew. So when we see why did you not obey the Lord, what it's really saying is why did you not listen to the voice of the Lord? Saul's response, but I did listen to the voice of the Lord, to which Samuel responds, you say you listen, right? But you didn't heed God's commands. To listen to the voice of the Lord, to heed the voice of the Lord, to obey the Lord is better than sacrifice. That's how we would say it. To, to heed, to be affected by what you heard is better than the fat of rams. In other words, what the text is really and simply saying is you can hear and yet you can not really hear if you get that. You can listen, but you cannot really listen. We, we yell at our kids when they don't listen. And what we mean is they don't heed, they don't obey, right? Sometimes we know, but somehow we just don't know because of self-deception. The human heart, like I said, has a capacity to hide the truth from us. The truth, especially when it's painful, that's what it does. It tries to protect us, right? And so it deceives itself. It's possible to know something and yet not know it because you don't want to know it. 
right? Why is this important? Self-deception is not the most evil, horrible thing that we can do, but it is the reason that we do those horrible, evil things. God rejected Saul for this. And honestly, this is something that we probably all do in one form or another. Or maybe we can point to those times in the past where we've done those things. Today, man, I'm hoping that we hear this. Today, I'm hoping that we quit messing around with the word of the Lord. We've all heard the commands of God, right? And we've all found ways to justify not following the commands of the Lord. We have all known and chose not to know at the same time when it doesn't fit in, right? That's the capacity that we all have. And if we're not careful, it will lead to us doing terrible things. How does that work? Verse 13, Samuel comes to Saul, and Saul says this. This is the first thing that Saul says when he sees Samuel, right? The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. You ever notice when a kid, you first come up to them, they've messed up, they kind of tip their hand and kind of say the first thing that I... I listened to you, Mom, right? I listened to you, Dad. I did those things. The, the first thing that he says is, hey, I just want you to know, I listened to the voice of the Lord, right? Does Saul really think that he did, that he's carried out the Lord's instructions? I mean, it seems obvious to me. No, he knows that he didn't carry that out, but his heart is deceiving him. Can I give you three examples of what that looks like today? I'll use one for my own personal life. There was a uh, there, for a while, my wife was always hearing noises in our cars when we were driving those in those vehicles. She would tell me about those noises, and, and I would go and check them out, and I wouldn't hear those noises. Like, I would think those noises are just normal noises that cars were making, right? Or we would be driving, and she'd be like, Did you, do you hear that noise? And ask me that, and my, my response, yeah, but that's normal, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Let's just turn up the radio. That's what you do, right? Sometimes you know, but you don't know because you don't want to know. You don't want to believe that there is something wrong with your car because what does that lead to? Money, right? Money, got to bring it to the shop. Today, parents don't want to admit their kids have flaws. They do, right? But if a coach or a parent comes up with those flaws, a lot of times parents come in flying in to defend them. Uh, it's just that teacher. That teacher is whatever, right? Or, or that's coach. That coach is being uh, unreasonable. The teacher is incompetent. The coaches are, are not fair. We make excuses to justify our kids' actions. They, they know, we know our kids might not have the best intentions, might not be the best attitudes, right? But we know it's a lot easier to blame the coach, blame the parent or, or the teacher than blame our parenting skills, right? Blame the way that we raise them, our, our, our failures. Near, near the end of World War II, the first town that had a 
concentration camp that the Allies came to and liberated was the uh, town of uh, Ordruf. When the GIs got to this concentration camp, there were a number of prisoners still alive, but the guards, hoping to get rid of the evidence, had started to take all the bodies out of the grave, and they started to burn them. They started to incinerate them. When the Allies got there, though, they were... They were in the process of doing that, and they just left those bodies behind all stacked up in the ovens, and they never got to do anything like that. The, the Allies came in, and they had never seen anything like that, right? Two hours later, George Patton gets in there, goes in, looks around, and vomits. Blood and guts, George Patton vomited and wouldn't go in anymore. The allies talked to the people in the town and they asked them, how could you let this happen? What, what was going through your minds, right? And you know what the townspeople said? We didn't know. We didn't know. Patton said, well, if you did or not, whether you did or not, you're going to bury all these bodies. So everyone from the mayor on, on down worked all day the next day and buried bodies. After doing that, the mayor and his wife went home and they hung themselves. They left a note that said, we didn't know, but we knew. They knew. We know, right? The same mechanism that enables very, dis, very decent people to become complicit in very horrendous things is the same mechanism that keeps me from wanting to admit that there's something wrong with my car. There's something wrong with my parenting style right? Because of this, we hide the truths that are painful to us. It's the same mechanism that keeps me or any of us from wanting to admit that we have a problem, right? I have this bad habit. I'm not a good person. We, we have this enormous capacity to hide the truths from ourselves that are painful to us, truths that we just don't want to admit, and it's the root of enormous evil. We've got to be careful. How does it happen? It happens in many ways. This example, this passage gives us two examples, though. The first one is we shift the blame. That's what we do. In verse 14, Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I heard? Remember, they were supposed to wipe all that out, but here they are. Here's that sheep. Here's that cattle, right? How does Saul respond? The soldier. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, right? He shifts the blame because he doesn't want to experience the truth. What's the truth? He wasn't acting like a king. He wasn't leading the men, right? He didn't tell them to wipe them out. He was more concerned about what they thought than what God thought, than carrying on the commands of the Lord, We've all shifted to blame. We're great at it. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty darn good at it. Adam in the garden, right? Why did you eat of the fruit I told you not to? What, what's he say? Well, this woman that you gave me, right? We all blame our spouses for our marriage problems, right? They're the ones that are, are the cause of our marriage problems. It doesn't have to, anything to do with us not being the spouse that we're called to be, Right? Shifting the blame is how we deceive ourselves. 
and justify our actions. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Then Saul says this. Oh, this is good, right? They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. That's good, right? He spun that. Pretty good. That's what we do. What's he doing? He's hiding behind morality. He's hiding behind religiosity. Samuel, we're going to have this great service. I want you to come and preach at it, right? And then we're going to do this amazing thing for God. We've saved the best for him. We're going to sacrifice those animals to him. You know that wasn't part of the plan. You know, that's really why we did this, God. We're doing it for you. That's what we do. That's what we do. What does Samuel say? Enough. Enough, right? I've heard it before. Enough. Just stop. Samuel's not going to have any of it. My friends, today we need to hear Samuel saying that. We need to hear God saying that to us. When we're spinning it, when we're shifting the blame, enough, right? Knock it off. We're either obeying the word of the Lord or we aren't. And there is no justification for not obeying it, right? We too often use religion and morality as a way to deceive ourselves so though we don't recognize what we're doing is wrong, we know, right? But we don't know. Elizabeth Elliot gives a good story from her past about this. She said in her household the children could play with these paper bags underneath the sink. Um, they could pull them out and play with them all. The thing is, the one thing was that they just had to put them back when they were done, right? One day, her brother Tommy did just that, pulled out all the paper bags, started playing with them, and he left them all out. And then he went in and started playing the piano. When his parents came home, they saw this. They hear him practicing. One of the ways he would practice was by playing hymns, Right? His parents saw the bags and they yelled to Tommy, get in here, pick up these bags. And Tommy replied, I can't, I'm singing praises to Jesus. <laughs> Elizabeth said her father walked in and said, there's no singing praises to Jesus when you're being disobedient. To obey is better than sacrifice. I've used that excuse. I'm doing this for you, Lord. You called me to do this. But look, look, I'm doing this instead. Isn't that good? Good me, right? Don't we all do that? Be careful, right? There's a lot of us hiding behind some religious action, use, using it to justify things or other things that we shouldn't do, you know? I, I've used religion to cheat on my taxes. Like, the less I give the government, the less they're spending for things that are not. So I'll, I'll use every little loophole and thing that's even a little controversial. I know, but I don't know. Right? I hope the IRS isn't watching this. <laughs> How much abuse has happened in the church? Horrible abuse that we don't think is even possible, right? It all stems from this self-deception. Look what happens to politicians. Many go in with honorable aims, right? They want to make the country better. They want to serve their communities. And then what happens? 
They come out horrible, ugly people that are taking bribes, taking kickbacks, bending their morals, doing all sorts of horrible things. They went in decent. King Saul went in decent and humble, but he started caring more about people than God's commands. He deceived himself. We got to be careful with that. Lord, I, I know your word says this, and I should do that, but I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to give you this sacrifice instead. Yeah, we didn't kill the animals, but we're going to sacrifice them to God. It can sound good in your head. It probably does, right? We can rationalize it, but make no mistake. It's evil. It's not just bad, wrong. It's evil, right? That's what we see. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. Rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. There are a lot of people that God's calling them to do this or that. God's calling us to give in this way, but instead of giving in the way that he calls us, we give in the way that we think is right, right? God's word calls us to forgive, to pray for our enemies, but, you know, God, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to listen to that. God calls us to follow his word in whatever way it is, but we, we hear what we want to hear, and we don't hear what we don't want to hear because it's painful to us. We know God's calling us to this, but we allow ourselves to be deceived. We have a good justification, right? I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this thing for you instead, God. Hear this, though, today. It may look good. But God knows the truth. God sees it as rebellion. It cost Saul the kingdom. More important than the kingdom, it cost Saul the spirit of God. The spirit of God left him. And his relationship with God was ruined. And God rejects him. Some of you, the spirit of God has left you because you're playing around you're being disobedient with what he calls you to be obedient to, what he's called you to. I'm not talking about if you're battling some addiction, right? Because you're battling that addiction. And you're not justifying it saying it's right. I'm talking about what you're justifying as right and good that you know is not. Be careful with that today, right? human heart has an incredible capacity for self-deception, and we need to identify it, and we need to kill it. We need to repent of it. I'm guessing that there's some people in here that know, but they don't know because they don't want to know, right? What's the solution? First of all, you just need to understand that certain truths are going to be painful, right? Some truths are painful, and we can accept those. But other truths are painful and we deceive ourselves. We allow ourselves to be deceived so we don't have to face those truths of how we are as a spouse, how we are as a follower of Christ, right? Saul starts off with uh, his worth being from God. Verse 17 says this, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? How did that happen? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Now why would he say this 
Because if you go back to verse 12, when Samuel was looking for him, what's Saul doing? Verse 12, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set a monument up to his own honor. He's elevating himself, right? Before his worth was in just being God's anointed. But now he's going to find worth in other areas, right? Why is Saul taking the plunder from the Amalekites? To make himself rich. Why is Saul put up a monument in his own honor? To show off his military victor to victories to look good, right? Why has Saul kept Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive? Because if you have a king under you, right, and you're a king, then you're a king of kings. It's all about elevating yourself, finding your worth in everything else but God. That's where our worth needs to come from, right? He's finding his worth in his deeds, and that's why he cares so much what other people think instead of what God thinks. That's why he's willing to compromise the commands of the Lord because what other people think is more important than that. Do you still have to convince yourself you're great, Saul? I made you king. I anointed you. I appointed you. I put you in that position, right? It's not good enough. He's got to elevate himself, and that's what we do a lot of times. And Samuel says, your arrogance is a form of idolatry. Here's what went wrong with Saul, and here's what goes wrong with us. If God is how you know you're great, if God is the source of your worth, right, if God's love is what you value, if you know that God delights in you, do you know God delights in you? (laughs) As messed up as we are, right? Don't you delight in your kids even though they're messed up, right? God delights in us, right? He calls you his child. If you know that God's anointed you with his favor and love, then you can handle any kind of bad news about your failures, right? You can go to him with those failures and ask for help. Nothing can affect that root of where you find your worth, right? But if you're a father and you've built your honor or the monument to your honor on your kid being a great athlete, then you will fight to keep that with everything that you have. And when that coach comes and tells you that your kid is being a whatever in practice, right, you're going to fight against that because what happens to that monument if your kid goes down? So you fight it. You do things, you overlook things, right? You do everything that you can to protect it. If you build your worth as a leader, and I think this is something that every, every leader has to do, if you build it on what other people think, then you'll compromise in what God calls you to do in order to keep them happy and keep yourself elevated. Where does your worth come from? comes from him it's not what people think it's not how much money you have in your bank account right it's not your home it's not any of those things your worth comes from being a son or daughter of the king your worth is seen on that cross that's how much you're worth right what's more than that Nothing. My friends, we've got to be obedient to what God calls us. We've got to quit pretending that we don't hear. 
Are you doing that today? Are you hearing but not hearing? Do you know but you don't know? Are you justifying anything that you know you shouldn't be doing? Is there something like that in your life? You need to repent of that. You need to seek his forgiveness for that. You need to bow down before him. Amen? Stand with me. Here's my charge. Stay small in your own eyes. Stay humble. Keep your worth in him. And in only what he thinks about you. Right? Can I share a passage of scripture to end this? Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is the example that we have. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. How far? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? This is the example that has been set before us. And I just really want us to get this. If there is something that God is commanding, that God is telling you, don't you dare spin it. Don't you dare shift the blame. Own it. Repent of it. Read the Bible in a way that you want to know what it says, even the painful parts, even the hard parts that call us to do things, right, that we don't want to do. To say we're not going to do it, to say instead of doing this, we're going to do this instead and look what we're doing for God. Will you just remember that word enough? Will you just remember that rebellion is like divination, some horrible things, arrogance? That's what we're being. We're being arrogant. When we think we know the best way, when we interpret God's word the way we want to interpret it, arrogance, idolatry. And my friends, that leads to rejection. Go on and read the rest. Saul's like, forgive me. And it's too late. That cannot be us. We need to repent of those things. Amen? I don't know what God's speaking to you about. But do that before you leave. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I know in my life, I have spun things. I have shifted the blame. 
Lord and Father, if there's something in my life right now, I pray that you would point that out. If there's something in the life of anybody in here, I pray that you would point that out, Father. And I pray that we would ask for forgiveness, that we would correct that right now. Lord, don't let any one of us leave this place until that happens. Father, we do not want to be rejected. Lord, help us to be accountable. Father, I pray when the enemy comes in and points out our flaws and those things, Lord, that we would just give them to you. We would surrender them to you, Lord. Maybe it's our parenting's not been the best. Maybe it's the way we've treated our spouses, Lord. Father, help us just to, to lay those things down and to give them to you and ask you to fix those things, Lord. Father, let us have no idols beside you. Search our hearts, Lord. Let us not be a rebellious people. Let us see the true consequences and how serious this is, Lord. Lord, help us to know your word and to follow your word, period. Let there be nothing put in the way of that, Lord. Lord, we just give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.